you want to ditch feature dumping, build trust and earn the opportunity to become your prospect's trusted guide, then say hello to the Influential Communicator newsletter. Now, listen, my friend, my intention is clear because with one actionable weekly email keyword actionable my goal is to transform you into a captivating storyteller communicator and presenter so if this is a bit of you then head on down to www.theinfluentialcommunicator.com to register now and by the way if you do sign up know that you'll also receive my free guide on how to craft a punchy and high converting elevator story i'll see you on the other side Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. In 2011, our next guest retired from the United States Air Force and dove headfirst into the world of sales. And the next 15 years saw him take on roles as an individual contributor and as a sales leader in the SaaS arena. And today he's focused on improving the human being behind the seller over at Rebus International. But more importantly, people, he's a girl dad to two daughters. He believes in servant leadership and he's a friend of mine. Drew Bickers is here to talk to us about how to build a values-driven sales team. And man, I'm just here to sit back and listen. Dude, welcome to the show. What's good? Robbie, God, I feel like I'm going to let everybody down. Get that you shoot. probably will, Drew. Yeah, yeah probably <laughs> You're probably going to let a lot of people down. You get that introduction and I'm like, oh, gosh, where do we start with that? What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. You know, people talk about under promise over delivering. Have I just done the opposite? That's why I'm trying to scale it back just a bit so that we can, uh, we, there's only only way to go up now. So, yeah, I'm playing, man. I'm playing. I'm playing. But dude, you know what I'm interested in about you is I've gotten to know you over the years. And obviously it started from me being on your show and connecting on LinkedIn, but What's one part of your story that I don't know that you think it would be helpful for me to get context on and the audience so we can get a better understanding of who Drew is today? So I think the world, society, sales, business get it wrong and where they think they're making a difference in people's lives. And they think it's going to show up at work in their Mm -hmm. sales and their performance. A long time ago, I decided I think it will make a difference in people's dinner conversations with their family. Because if they're leaving home and or they leave the office and then they sit in traffic and they get home and they just kind of complain about work and my boss was this and situations like that, that happens at a lot of places. And if you don't have a family with the dinner table, maybe it starts at the pub on the way home. You're having a paint with your a pint with your mates. There's just a lot of argumentative. I, I don't hear a lot of great things happening in the workplace. And I was like, I'm setting out to change that. It's my number one goal in business. My team here at Rebus understands it. People that have worked for me in the past and with me in the past understand that that's that's my one goal. Let's make that dinner table conversation better. And it's not just because I want the dinner table conversation to be better. I put the focus on it because I want people to start having good quality time and meals with their family, which is not happening that much. Every time I go out, to 
to dinner. And I have certainly been a, an offender of this as well. It's like a mom, a dad, and two kids with their heads down looking at a tablet. And I'm like, that's, that's really sad, or their iPhone. And the, the iPhones or the tablets have become babysitters. And look, I'm not harshing on anybody that's listening to this. I've definitely been in that spot, and I've done that before to just, you know, ah, girls, shut up, right? Look at this, right? But I'm setting out that goal uh, and continuing on that goal to make everybody's dinner table experience better. And I ask my team that often. I'm like, is your dinner table conversations with your wife, your spouse, your significant other, your family getting better? And if they are, then I know Rebus, myself, my company is doing something right. The other halves, they know the good, the bad, the ugly, man. They hear the truth. But you know what I found very interesting is your British accent. When you said a pint with your mates, that was very good. I worked on it. Pint. <laughs> a pint with your mates. Do I qualify as a red coat now? <laughs> okay, that's like Mary Poppins, or I don't know what that was. <laughs> I get time with you in movies, so that's all you're getting. People always think, British people all like Hugh Grant, and I'm like, no, definitely not. I mean, far from it, far from it. So a, a buddy of mine is from Birmingham. Okay. Not Alabama, England, and he has got a much thicker, kind of like that working class raw british accent and then gotcha. you know i get on the phone with you and you're from london you're like the new york of of uh of the other side of the pond so very posh you know what's funny man well you said posh that's very interesting because if you came to the uk and you said to all of my friends ravi is very posh they would say, listen, man, his accent is like trailer trash. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's funny. People from across, across the pond are like, wow, man, you sound so posh. And I just run with it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I do. Like, uh, I'm spitting. I think it's great. <laughs> well, at least Drew does. At least Drew does. But I digress. You know, today's episode, man, is all about how to build a values-driven sales team. And I said to you in the green room, as we like to call it beforehand, I genuinely think this is one of your many superpowers. And I can say that because obviously I've worked with you and the Rebus team when it comes to crafting your founder's story. I've known you, I've seen your LinkedIn content over the years, and I just feel like it's a very hard thing to do and also at scale. So I want to dig deep into that for today's episode. And where I want to begin is with the following question. Let's run a scenario, okay? Drew joins a new organization, highly sales driven. They say, we want this, we want this, we want that. But when you have a look under the hood, they don't really have a vision, mission, or values. So you join because you believe in the leadership and what's about to come. But how do you define your values if you may not even know what they are. And I think that might be on many people's minds, whatever stage of their career they're at. So joining Rebus was actually pretty easy for me because we had like-minded values and we had the same definition of what culture and good culture should be. And you remember on my podcast, Culture Bust, several years ago when you were on, I was like, I had this mission to understand what was good culture, what was bad culture. It was just a buzzword at the time. And yeah. I had the opportunity to interview C-level executives all the way down to entry-level employees for small companies as well as very large organizations and in government, mm -hmm. private sector. And two things that I kind of came to were 
if you ask somebody about their mission, their values, their culture, you get a, a wide disparity of answers between, you know, founders, executives, C-level people versus what you get from an entry-level employee. And it almost seemed like the, the values or the culture, I should say, was driven by a CEO or founder's ego in a lot of ways. And an entry-level employee defined culture is what it made them feel and how a business or company should make them feel. And that is very dangerous that if you've got that wide range of expectations in your company's culture. And so I'm like, all right, well, what drives people? Why do they want to go to business? And, you know, the two things that came up the most were money was still there, right? And culture and being valued. And I found that I think one of the best ways to value an employee is to incorporate their ideas, their values, what drives them, what also makes them important, or find people that are extremely like-minded in you to help your business scale together. And as I was just interviewing person after person after person, it was just amazing that you know no one was on the same page in their own organizations. And I thought about it and, and said, you know, like, like, well, what are your missions? What are your values? And there wasn't a lot of really concrete pieces to it that will help sustain a business or hold people accountable. It's like, what's your culture like? We value family. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know anybody that doesn't, right? We have a family-like environment. We want people to like us when we're there. And it was just, it was just mind-numbing some of the things that I that I saw. And so uh, when I was interviewing with Rebus, I was specifically asking about their culture and it was just a word that made me vomit because they wanted to talk about it. And I had just done a podcast for two and a half years on this, right? And they said, well, our culture is very different. We, we, we've built our culture around specific values versus other things that people just post on their wall, right? And I'm like, well, talk to me about these values and how you hold each other accountable. And they, they talk about it till they're, they're blue in the face. And um, if you were to meet somebody at Rebus, you would go, well, I really drank the Kool-Aid. And, and my response would be, you're damn right. It's delicious. But I've got a, a C-level team. I've got a CEO that holds themselves, holds himself accountable. He raises his hand. He opens up and talks about when he's really screwed up and where he's messed up, holding himself accountable. But he's also pretty abrasive in how he responds to others because he has those expectations for everybody else. And I've never seen a company be successful where a CEO holds themselves accountable to their values, but not everybody else. And so we've done a really good job of, of doing just that. That's really interesting, man. And if I can extract what I'm hearing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in the scenario that I gave you, it's sitting down with like-minded employees and extracting what they believe good looks like, how they would define the culture, and also getting an understanding of the language that they would use to describe how they felt about it and really holding people accountable in the long term to those values that you do embed within the organization. I think something you said as well really stuck out for me is the the verbal vomit of Instagram style quotes, or I don't know what placemats, I don't know what to say, but it's, it just makes me vomit when a lot of companies talk about culture because it just feels inauthentic. So, because it just feels cookie cutter. So what was it about Rebus that didn't feel cookie cutter and vomit-like? It was the definitions really of their values too. 
So I'll give you one. Oh, okay. One of our values is honesty. And a lot of companies say honesty or integrity, and they just assume that everybody understands what that means. And when I say honesty, I assume you're a good person. I don't think you're robbing a bank this afternoon, right? That, mm. That's, that's not the type of honesty. I want you to be honest with yourself. At the end of the day, you look back and go, I sucked here and I'm going to own up to it and I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to do a much better job tomorrow. I'm going to suck less next week because I've got the EQ to be honest with myself and talk about my failures. I ask people about their failures in interviews all the time. I'm like, talk to me about a time you really, really failed. And it can't be the company's fault. It has to be your fault. Because they want to go, well, the company did this, so I failed. I'm like, no, 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 no. That means the company screwed up. I'm like, talk to me about a time you failed. And unfortunately, you get one of like three answers. Somebody lies. I've never failed. I'm like, okay, I'm never talking to you again. Or maybe they really haven't failed. And you're going to experience their first failure as a new hire when they come on board. Or more than likely, what it is, is they don't have the EQ or the whereabouts to understand what failure looks like. Or they've got this ego that blinds them from understanding how they're failing their business and how they're failing others. And so we look at it from when we talk about an honesty standpoint and a failure standpoint, be honest with yourself, certainly be deliberate with your words and do what you say you're going to do, but have the EQ to look back and, and, and work on things and recognize things that you're struggling with. If I just spend just a couple more minutes on some of the values, I mean, another one's being courageous right? We want people that are going to step out on a limb. They're going to challenge the status quo. They're going to raise their hands. One of the only times I've had my CEO get upset with me, well, he's been upset with me more than once, but the first time I remember was when I didn't have the courage to say something or call him out on something that didn't look right. He's like, look, I could have made a horrible business decision had you not stepped up and said something. And so he's like, I need people that are courageous that are not going to just accept the status quo. We want people to challenge the norm and step out on a limb. We want curious people too, like inherently curious. I want you to understand that you don't know everything. You don't, right? So start asking questions until you do and like really, really dig in. I think it's one of the best traits a salesperson could ever have is to be curious. Unfortunately, the biggest trait that salespeople have, including myself, is we love to talk about ourselves and our products, right? And we forget to be curious to uncover the problems that the customer is uh, experiencing right now. The next one's grit. This one's super important to just businesses that are, that are starting off, but certainly people in sales, you've got to have grit. Like don't accept what just happened and be okay with it, right? Want more, be gritty. Even if the current circumstances is, is good, think about your career and your future and the business that needs you tomorrow and the rest of the week and have the grit to go and tackle all the hard things now so that you're in a better space. And the last one kind of encapsulates the rest, but ownership. Now we're an employee owned business but when I talk about ownership, I want you to operate today as if the business fails tomorrow, if you don't show up, like literally, like take that on your shoulder, take the world on your shoulders as an owner and make things, make things happen. So to answer you directly, the thing that attracted me to Rebus was not just definitions of a mission or, or, or values, but being explicitly clear in what those values mean and being able to talk about them daily and hold yourself and everybody around you accountable. So it sounds as though it's not just the one word of honesty or integrity or curiosity or courageousness. That's just the starting point. It's then fleshing out the personal definition of that through the lens of leadership and how they're defining it. And then the next piece is 
showing somebody what good looks like in real time. Meaning John being like, yo, Drew, listen, I could have made a mess up here. Why didn't you call me out on X, Y, Z? Which is incredible because it goes back to that piece of when people talk about operating in a way that's in alignment with your value. That's exactly what we mean, right? Exactly that moment that yourself and John had, which is incredible. One thing which I feel like we need to close a loop on is those words of honesty, integrity, courageousness, curiosity, et cetera. If somebody doesn't know what the values of their business are at the C-suite, but they're trying to create that vision, how can they pluck out those words to ensure it's actually in alignment with the DNA of the business and the vision? How can they do that without saying, read Simon Sinek, start with why? Because a lot of people say that, right? <laughs> And we would tell you the same thing because we, <laughs> yeah. we do love that book and his golden circle we use and share it at our organization too. I think you need to understand like, what is the why of the business? What is the purpose of the business? What are you doing here? What is, what is mm. what do you intend for this business to, to do? Right. And then how are you going to do it? It, it kind of comes up next. How are we going to get to it? Right. And then what is it that we're going to do? Uh, but then find people that are willing to do it. And then you can define your values together, right? One of the questions I get in every interview, if, if, a, uh, if a sales rep or, or somebody in sales is worth their salt, they're going to go, tell me what good looks like. How am I going to be successful in this role? And uh, I call it the what, how, will method. You and I've probably talked about this before. I'm like, look, you need to yeah. decide what it is that you want to do. What do you want to contribute? What do you want to do in life? And then build a how. How are you going to get to it? And largely it comes with various sacrifices. And most people, unfortunately, are not willing to do it. So I asked him, I'm like, look, I'll give you the what and the how all day. You and I will build the what and the how all day. You need to decide whether or not you're actually willing to do it. So in January, every year, all around the globe, after all the consumption and food from the holidays, what do we do? What is it we do, Ralph? We come up with a New Year's resolution. Right. I mean, the worst thing in the world. Right. I, I don't even set them anymore personally. But yeah, the biggest one is like losing weight, being healthy, whatever. OK, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to look good in a bathing suit for spring break. What do you want to do? I want to be healthy and I want to be there for my kids later in life. Cool. How are you going to do it? Well, I'm going to work out and I'm going to start eating healthy. Are you really willing to do it after spring break? Are you really willing to do it that summer? Are you really willing to do it onto the fall and next year and next year and next year? And most people find out that, again, it comes down to the sacrifice of the how. The what looks glamorous and sexy. Getting there is very difficult. And most people ultimately are just not willing to do it. I do this in marriage counseling right now. I'm like, what do you want in your marriage? I want a happy marriage. I want a marriage where we have good conversations. I want marriage where we spend a lot of time. I want an open and honest relationship with my wife, with my husband. How are you going to do it? How are you going to make this, this marriage successful? And ultimately, it comes down to sacrificing your needs for the other. I don't get to go play golf all the time. I can't work five days a week and then take five hours to go spend on a golf course every week and take that time away from my wife and two girls, right? I want a healthy lifestyle with my family too. How am I going to do it? Well, I'm going to have to sacrifice my needs. And if you look at the divorce rate in the United States, which is absurd, you will find out that most spouses are not willing to do it. So when it bring this all back to the, the successful business and driving the values and getting things off to a great start. It's finding people that are willing to do what you just defined in your why, what, and how. 
That's beautiful, man. And by the way, I didn't know that you're also a marriage counselor. That's awesome, man. I didn't know that. Well, I went through marriage counseling with my wife and uh, got you. you know, we were in it. We've been married for 12 years and I want to say it was year four or so. Um, we just yeah. had our second kid. I was traveling every week. Life was stressful. Yeah. She was like pulling her hair out and we both thought we were right. And so when we met with these counselors, they were like, you need to understand something. You are right. In your mind, you're right. And in your mind, Mandy, you're right. Right. And the other person's wrong, but you can't go about fixing the other person if you're not willing to work on yourself. So they had one rule. You got to pray to ask God to change your heart and not the other person's. And we'll promise this will get better. And so she and I leaned back on that advice several years later. Okay, what can I change to make this situation better? Even if I think I'm right and she's wrong. That's incredible, man. And it takes me back to something I heard from oh, Kate Hudson, the actress. And she mentioned that her mother taught her this when she was growing up. And she said, when you point a finger at somebody, you're actually pointing three back at you right because if you take a look at it right it's three pointing back at you and i thought that's fascinating and we always believe we're right because we're looking at the lens of our own experiences that we've gone through so that's incredible man sales kickoff season is coming people and i love it man i love it because it's such an exciting time as a speaker but for enablement professionals and revenue leaders well it can be kind of stressful, you know, and having delivered storytelling keynotes and workshops for revenue teams like NetSuite, Crunchbase and AB Tasty. I know it's not just about motivation and inspiration, but also about finding the right speaker who can educate your audience and spark a long lasting shift in behavior. So, hey, if you are thinking about storytelling as a theme for kicking off your new fiscal year, then head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash speaking to check out my speaker reel, take a look at some of my topics and some customer stories to see if there's a fit. And if there is, then you can scroll down to the bottom and book an alignment call with me directly. All right, let's get back to the show. You mentioned something interesting just before that around hiring people and going on that journey with others who can reinforce those values, but help you evolve them. So when you are really getting into a relationship with somebody else, aka hiring somebody to join your team, how can you ask questions which will qualify that they meet the values of the organization without saying, are you honest? Can you tell me a time about the last time you were dishonest? You know, something which will either qualitatively or quantitatively qualify if they're in alignment with those values. What would you do? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's two lines of questioning that I have in, in any role, certainly with sales is uh, I look at performance, but I look at the cultural values even more. I can teach people how to perform. Uh, it's a lot difficult to teach people to love and appreciate and and honor those those core values for an extended continuous period of time, right? And so there is a level of questioning that I ask. And I mean, I've gotten halfway decent at interviewing people because I've interviewed thousands of people over the past decade, right? Wow, that's a lot. There is level of questioning. So like we were talking about it earlier about the failure one and the honesty. I'm like, talk to me about a time you failed. And usually it starts with, well, the company was in this situation. And then I failed because of that. And I'm like, 
that's not what I asked. Like that's the company failing. And, I, and I'm very frank about this. I'm like, talk to me about a time you failed. I'm like, if you need me to give you an example, so you feel comfortable, I can. I've got just a ridiculous laundry list of failures that I can go back to. But I want to see if people can are aware of that. And if they're truly honest with themselves and me and how they failed. Right. And then I'm going to ask them, how did you get through it? How did you make the situation better? Walk me through this. And I don't want any like quick crummy answers. I want to, I want to dig into how that failure came about, what you did to make it better. What was the outcome? Even if it was a continuous failure for a while. And that shows me that you're gritty through the process right? I can see the grit in you and the true ownership that you're actually tackling these things and, uh, and, and making them much better. So there's a, there's a lot, that's one easy one to kind of, to go through is the failure one, but there's a whole host of other questions that I dig into. as well. Are there any exercises that you do, which would, for example, allow that seller to showcase certain attributes which would be in alignment with your value so for example let's just say if you're talking about the failures and the mess ups if you get somebody to do a presentation and you get them to acknowledge what didn't go well and they can self-diagnose that it could be in alignment with that honesty piece and being honest with yourself and where you're at is there any exercises that you do in the interview process which get people on their feet doing something different uh, some it depends on the role. Like, am I hiring a director, VP, sales rep? Like, who who is who is being hired here? And so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get like if it's a if it's a director, I'm like, I want to know about a time you failed your team, like not the company, okay. but your specific team, right? And I want you to walk me through how you addressed it, how you were called out, what was the failure, what did it monetize? Like, was it was it that? What was the mental equity that was stolen from your team because you let them down? And then I, I kind of break it down in a, in a series of line of questions. And I'm like, okay, talk to me about your process for fixing failures. And if there's not a real good process and I'm like, okay, well, I was like, then take process oriented off of your resume. It says you're process oriented. And if you don't have a process to fix things, you don't have an SLA, you don't have like, what, what are, you, are you good at just following some other process on something else? Right? So I'm not trying to catch people in lies. I just really want to dig in and understand what 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 is what answers are they giving me and why. I love that. Take it off your CV, boy. You you're not process oriented. Take it off your damn CV, boy. <laughs> love that, dude. Now I'm curious. Okay, so this person flies through the interview process. They're now in Drew's organization. They're sitting there. They're crushing it. Six months in, honeymoon period is over, and you start seeing the cracks. You start seeing the real person who is imperfect, like every human being on earth. How can you, I mean, for lack of a better word, correct behavior that you're seeing, which is out of alignment with the values that you want them to exhibit? What are you doing? Are you doing a Coach Carter style contract, getting everybody to sign something as they join? Like, How are you ensuring they're always on track? I think a lot of cracks surface up because of just lack of communication and poor communication, right? And when I'm talking to mm. managers and reps and anybody, I'm like, you need to talk about the business daily with all persons you touch. I mean, and I mean every single day, and it needs to be quality conversation about the business. I don't care if you're an executive, get out of your meetings, come out of the office, talk to your people daily. 
I don't care if you're a sales rep and you're, you've got lots of conversations with customers happening and appointments and demos going on, go talk to your boss and talk to your peers every single day. And it doesn't have to be something that's scheduled for 30 minutes where you're going through some sort of formula like you would on a typical weekly one-to-one. But I just talk about the business daily. What's going on? Where are you struggling? Why is this deal going to happen? Why is this deal not going to happen? I'm struggling managing this rep because of this situation so that it doesn't all of a sudden become a surprise to your director or VP at a later date, right? And so talking about the business daily. So if you're a director, you're talking to your VP, you're talking to all your constituents and those on your team. I mean, every single day, if you're a sales rep, an outside sales rep, you're talking to your director every single day and you're talking to, uh, let's say, if you got an inside sales support person every single day, make the time. It's important to have those conversations so that when cracks do arise, they're a lot more narrower than wider than you would you would hope for, right? So there's that. Understand this too, to give you some context in the back, certainly for, for leaders, people, people managers, is know that everybody is either running from something or to something, okay? In life, every sales rep, every business person, they're running from something or they're running to something. I have this conversation with a, a buddy of mine who's a pastor at his church. And I'm, I'm like, know this too, Everybody that walks through your doors is running from something or they're running to something. What could they potentially be running from? Maybe it's a messed up marriage. Maybe it's just a horrible life. Maybe it's a job that they hate. Maybe it's just society and situation in life. And that, and they're just running from something. Hopefully they're also running to something. Maybe they're running to support. Maybe they're running to something spiritual. Maybe they're running to something that they enjoy. If I break this down for you in sales, less than 15% of sales reps are really effectively running to something. Usually they're running from something. Well, what do you want them to run to? I want them to run towards that paycheck. I want them to run towards first place. I want them to run towards making that customer excited and super pumped up, right? They'll all tell you they're running to something. But if you dig into what's going on, a lot of them are running from a pip. They're running from failure. They're running from not closing a deal. And it doesn't mean that you can't run from something, but that means your view is in the rear view mirror and you're, you're going to hit other obstacles because you're not, you're not facing forward and paying attention to what you could be advancing towards today, tomorrow, and in the future, right? So I challenge people to run to something and to help your reps focus on a lot more of the positive, lead with the carrot, not the stick, right? But find the people that are hungry and running to something versus running from something. Oh, dude, we've never spoken about that. I love that. I love, love, love that. And it's so funny when we're running to something, in your words, often I find we can be a lot more creative and operate from a place of an infinite game mindset if we're talking about Cyber Sinek here versus if we're running from something and we want to get out of that pain so, so quick, it can often lead to inauthentic behavior or ego driving decisions. So, that's really interesting, man. Uh, I've never heard you say that. I've never had a pleasant ride home upset with the guy tailing me in my rearview mirror. Never. Mm-mm-mm. Never, ever. Unless it's like Jamie Foxx or Kevin Hart or a superstar. I'm like, okay, tell, I'm interested. But uh, yeah, never, never, man. Never, 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 never. But no, that's... I'm definitely break-checking Jamie Foxx and then getting the autographs. So. <laughs> <laughs> me too bro i love i was watching some of his earlier stuff from back in the day he's a genius isn't he like really a genius man he is he can play a lot of different roles i mean when i was younger he was kind of a goofball comedian yeah. Yeah. and then when he yeah. came out with ray you're like 
hmm, that was good. Like he was, that was really good. I mean, talk about running away from being pigeonholed and running towards creating a new identity. I mean, he did that so hard to do as well, right? When you're known for one specific thing, but this isn't the comedy uh, show podcast. So we're going to, we're going uh, to go back to talking about influential communication, ladies and gents. But dude, listen, before I let you go, I need to ask you now that that individual is back in alignment and running towards something that makes them feel alive, you're going to start adding to that organization. Now you can't continue to do every single interview. You're going to have to empower other leaders to do it on your behalf. How does one hold those values at scale? It's a good question. It's, it's tough, right? I don't report to John anymore, right? I report to the president yeah. of North America. And at some point I may report to somebody else and, you know, there, there'll be these splinters, these, this, this tree that goes out. And so it's, it's difficult. It's, it's actually one of the things that keeps me up at night more. But I look at it, I look at kind of the honesty piece at the end of every day. I'm like, okay, did I make an impactful move today with the team? Is my role influencing the right way? Am I living those values? And ultimately we've got to, you know, hire the people that are going to act like owners, which I told you earlier encapsulates kind of the rest of the values and somebody that thinks along that way. And dude, you could go pick anybody out here in my office that'd be able to nail down those, uh, those core values, just like I was able to give to you earlier too. So it's so hard to operate in a way at scale where those values are intact. I've experienced that tricky moment when you start to get bigger. And then, you know, Simon Sinek says that magic number is 150 people. As you go beyond that number in an organization, things get a little bit murky. That's also a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point. If you, if you ever read anything by Gladwell, he talks about the tipping point in a company yeah. where you start to see that, that separation happens at a, happens at 150 yeah. employees. And, you know, we're, we're well over that now. But it's, uh, we kind of, we blew through the tipping point though. I mean, we went from like 70 employees to 250 in like a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, it was like <laughs> super quick. And so talk about being difficult to scale and manage core values like that. And it's just, we, we it's why we make it a point to talk about it in every single meeting and ask, how are we doing? Like I do, I do this exercise after every single one of my trainings called my three things, right? And it's, What's one thing that you heard today that validates you're already doing well? I want to start out with some confidence booster. You heard something today that you're crushing it already. Share how you're doing it. What's one thing that you heard today that you're going to start doing differently or better because you're now aware? And then the other one is, what's something that is totally BS that you heard today? What is bogus? Like I said something and you're like, I'm out, Drew. That doesn't make sense. Or I don't like it. Or I disagree. And that brings on a lot of really good conversation to, do I need to change the training? Do I need to spend more time with that individual so that they do understand things? Or do I need to work on how I'm sharing that information so that they, they absorb it the right way? And so it's, 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 it's a constant battle, right? Of, of wanting yeah. to do all the great things for the company, be the great company, be the great individual that, that, that is acting as an owner and upholding all those values. But yeah, I think uh, it, it, it helps when you work with people that you genuinely love. I do have made some exceptional friendships here. People that are also ridiculously talented. Like I get the question now, like, what is, 
what have you noticed over the past year or the past year and a half since you've been there? I'm like, I'm very mediocre. And every employee that's ever worked here has probably been the best at their previous company. I mean, they were number one. They were hot shots. And you get here and you're, you're not. You're just kind of a B player at Rebus. And it's humbling at first, right? It's kind of a step on your ego. But as you sit back and think about it, it's actually incredibly encouraging that the talent surrounding you and supporting you is ridiculously awesome. That's cool, brother. That is cool. That's very humbling, but what a cool opportunity. But speaking of bogus, you know what is bogus about you, Drew? Can I be honest? Oh, boy. That blockbuster card behind you. (laughs) I've got it there for a very specific reason. Because I want people to ask about it. And so yeah. you know that you know my playbook that I created and I've been offering around for a long time is called Setting Your Pick. It stands for being predictable, innovative, and credible. And when we talk yeah. about the innovation piece, I'm like, let me talk to you about some people that failed to innovate and where they are now. Where's right. Kodak? Where's Kodak? Where's the Kodak? <laughs> Where's the Kodak film? Yeah, so we do that. Love it, man. Love it, brother. Love it. I was only messing with you. But dude, thank you for coming on the show, man. I'd like to say you over-delivered. All right, man, you over-delivered uh, in comparison to that introduction. But dude, as you know, the show is called The Influential Communicator. And what I'd love to know from you is who is an influential communicator that you personally look up to and why? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot, really. I mean, there's I'm not going to sit here and spend time on my CEO and kiss his ass anymore. We've done enough of that. on the the (laughs) My dad was an incredible influencer. Really? And really, really good. But now it's funny. I'm, I'm watching my children more and more and how they, they influence people in the room and the impacts that they lay, the questions they have. And I've got, I've got one daughter that's either going to be an exceptional business lady and awesome salesperson, as you know, Macy, or she's going to be in San Quentin any day. Like she's going to jail or she's going to the top. Um, so I'll, I'll give you this story. So she's got a crush on my neighbor's son, right? She's okay. Yeah. But he's a 22 year old senior over at the university of Georgia. She's nine. <laughs> she's nine. I was going to say she's nine, bro. And so this is like, this is a few months ago. And uh, he comes over and he's like, I want to talk to him. And my wife's like, well, go talk to him. She's like, well, what do I say? She's like, well, why don't you ask him about some of the classes he's taken at, at UGA? He's like, okay. She walks over and she's like, hey, Connor, it's Macy. He's like, yeah, I know. They've known her her whole life, right? He's like, so. And she's just kind of dancing around it. She's like, so what classes are you taking at Georgia? And he's like, well, right now I'm, I'm taking a pretty tough and I'm taking accounting. And she's like, I love counting. <laughs> he got confidence in spades and so i when you ask me like who do i look to for like good communication i'm really watching my children more and more some things they steal from us and some things are just they're naturally given or they pulled out of their rears from somewhere else and it's really i know your, your daughter's like just super young but you're gonna see how she communicates and uh, I tell people, I'm like, don't always look to the the typical authors that everybody has. Uh, some of the most exceptional communicators may be right in your own home. And knowing how you tell the best stories on the globe, 
right? I imagine your daughter will uh, follow somewhat in those footsteps and, and be able to share wonderful stories too. Oh, thank you for the kind words, man. I appreciate it. And I guarantee when I do eventually make it out to Atlanta, I will be having dinner with your family and I will remember that story. And I am going to remind Macy of that exact story. That's hilarious, bro. <laughs> so funny. She's a, she's a trip, dude. Come on. I got, I got a place for you to stay anytime. 100%. All in, man. All in. Well, listen, ladies and gents, that is Drew Bickers. And hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, you're probably thinking, where can I get more from Drew? So Drew, where can people learn more about what you're up to? I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I love to I love to smoke. Okay. I love to smoke meat. So you can find me at Chronic Smoker. That's Chronic with a K, Smoker. I do all my, my cooking on there. But yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Love it, man. Well, listen, ladies and gents, I will see you for another episode next week, same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right, I'll see you on the other side.